It's the one phenomenon that always struck me, that cities uh, put together millions and millions of people that are in very close proximity to one another. They touch each other every morning in the subway. They rub around each other in the sidewalk or in the parks, yet they feel lonely uh, and detached. And so that, that drew me really into trying to find living solutions that would improve connections. Hi, thank you for tuning in. This is Getting Personal with Designers. My name is Tamir Schuster from Precise, and today I'm talking to Iran Khan from ODA Architecture. Iran has over 20 years of experience and founded the studio back in 2007. He is a Sahel Academy of Art and Design graduate and has won many awards throughout the years, such as the AIA New York State Design Awards and the AN Best of Practice Awards. And the list just goes on and on. Let's just get started. Aran from ODA, thank you for being here. Actually, thank you for hosting us in thank your you office. Um, the founder, the principal of ODA. Um, today, we're going to talk about multiple things. Um, we're going to do it kind of the same as a project. So we're going to start with the SD phase, talking about you, talking about your early, early architectural life, then rolling it over into DDs, talking a little bit about what ODA is doing these days. Um, then what we like to call the CD phase, which is more about the industry and finishing off with CA and some personal questions just to know you better. Wow, right? the structure. Yes, I yeah. knew you were going to. Actually, Michael said you're going to like it. <laughs> um, so starting with probably the, the first question that everyone has in mind, why have you decided to become an architect? I haven't decided to become an architect. My mom did, and I just followed through. <laughs> um, the story goes that when I was about six years old, my parents were divorced, so I lived with my mom at that point. And for fun, I would sit down in the living room and just draw a perspective view of, of the room, which she found quite astonishing that a kid would even think about drawing stuff in 3D. And uh, so she kept on telling that story, that how amazing the drawings were, until a few years ago I asked her to see the drawings and she couldn't find them. So... You know, who knows what part of it is true or not. But I have a vague memory of, of being uh, kind of um, um, having this urge to document by drawing my sort of immediate environment uh, and the fascination that I had with how things come together in a 3D format. Uh, and I think that led to a conversation in the family and throughout that Iran will be an architect for sure. And you know how it is when you grow up your parents and the you're, you're either a doctor or an architect yeah, right? you, yeah well for a Jewish man is a lawyer or a doctor an architect is acceptable being an Israeli um, but you know and, and that was the perception to be to be fair and, and it's funny that to do an Israeli you have to go to the army so when I was 18 uh, after school I went to the army service and four years uh, after that uh, I had a totally different idea I thought that I want to be a, either a physician or a psychologist, um, and then I went traveling for a year, like most Israelis do, and I was I went to South America and uh, Asia, and even India. And when I came back, I, I came back to the notion that really what strikes me and what uh, attracts me the most is the ability of the built environment to influence people, to influence their kind of um, mental state of mind, to uh, influence communities, to inspire them. I was really, really fascinated. Um, even though I went to kind of 
third world countries in a way. It wasn't the European masterpieces that fascinated me. It was rather the, you know, even the, the local housing, uh, India, the old temples that became this kind of wild, uh, sort of almost like a safari mixed of animals and people and landscape. And I was just, I was just mesmerized by it. And that's where I said, okay, we're going to give it a shot. Do, do you still find inspiration by traveling and like see other communities? Always. Always. I think that for both my wife and I and my kids, I think now in her as well, traveling is the biggest source of inspiration. First of all, I mean, I'm inspired every day by everything and mostly by people. But when you travel, you kind of immerse yourself into the exploration mode and... Um, You just enhance whatever is surrounding you. So for me, it's, it's always great. Uh, although my inspiration ideas are something totally sporadic, uh, it's not like I'm inspired by architecture necessarily, but being in the mode and state of mind of being away in trouble. Always. So it's everything. It's the food, it's the people. Fashion, All right. uh, you know, art, many things. All right. That's, uh, that's great. It's interesting. So um, we know where you find your inspiration from. Do you have people that you look up to or that you used to look up to that really kind of maybe either drove you into becoming an architect? You said, okay, I like this type of work that they're doing. Well, I look up to my mom first. <clears throat> she's not an architect. She's actually a scientist, and, uh, um, but a very kind of strong, self-minded career woman. And she's nothing to do with architecture, surprisingly. And, and my dad is actually an engineer. Um, but uh, she, she was always an inspiration to me in kind of the relentless search to make the world a better place and the belief that we have the ability to do it, uh, which I always was struck by, the fact that she always thought, You know, we should expect ourselves to change the world. You know, people shouldn't kind of wake up in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as architects, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, there's many people through history that I love. It's funny <clears throat> to ask architects which are other architects they admire. They always uh, name the ones who died. Because <laughs> we can't really give good words to the one who, who is alive. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen architects flattering another one that is alive. Oh, I love Louis Kahn. Of course he's dead. Um, for me, uh, Norman Foster is one of the people that I inspire. Uh, when I say people, is not just as an architect per se, but you know, as a person from what I know and what I gather, his ability to uh, build an empire in the field of architecture to influence in such a wide range of, of uh, uh, building types and, you know, human topics, his ability to build such a successful business, uh, and just the kind of the pure uh, exploration of growing as an architect to be a force of, of influence uh, internationally. I thought, uh, you know, I always admired him for that. All right. Um You mentioned it, you grew up in Israel, um, studied in Bezalel. Um, what prompted you to move to New York City? I don't know what prompts many Israelis to move to New York City. It's a question <laughs> I'm still I'm scratching my head around. Um, 
to me, well, I have this interesting family story because I said my, my parents were divorced and each one of them had a period of exploration with the U.S. throughout my life. When I was 16, my dad, who's a pilot, um, was also working at the Air Force industry, moved to Seattle for a year to work at Boeing. So I had a 10-month, actually, uh, sort of an experience in Seattle. My mom did her uh, PhD in Stanford University and then still lives in, in the U.S. So I always thought that I'm going to go for a period of time. Um, Israel always seemed small to me and almost too intimate, which is funny because I look for intimacy in my architecture. Uh, and I said, I'm going to give it a shot. And that's what happened. I came in just like the stories with a 40 bucks and a, and a suitcase, and there I am today. Yeah, all right. That's, that's the American dream, lived by an Israeli. Um, so that's the backstory, which was really interesting. Um, rolling it over really to the DD phase, really talking about ODA a little bit. And we talked about community in urban living spaces, right? And this is basically what you do these days. Can you talk about it a little bit more? Like, what are you looking for? What is ODA striving for in terms of community and urbanism? I, I always think that the, our, there's this urge for connection. As humans, I always felt that. Like, who do you connect to? Who do you connect to? And the idea of connecting to other people and the ability to connect in different ways. Uh, and I was inspired how architecture can facilitate different way of connecting. Our connection to nature, to our environment, to what degree the architecture of the built environment frames this connection to the, to the outside, to nature. Um, and one thing that struck me, I think maybe just being Israeli, grew up in, in Be'er Sheva, around a courtyard uh, that was very intimate on one hand uh, and very informal on the other, that I experienced a city like New York where there's a, a big disconnect in the variety of connection ability of people to one another and to our environment. Meaning there's a huge extreme between being alone in your apartment or being outside around millions of people on the street. And I felt like there's really not much in between. And when you live in New York by yourself as a bachelor, there's really great things about it. Um, <laughs> but there's also, you really sense the idea of what, what it means to be lonely, what it means to be alone when you're surrounded by millions of people. It's the, it's the one phenomenon that always struck me, that cities uh, put together millions and millions of people that are in very close proximity to one another. They touch each other every morning in the subway. They rub around each other as in the sidewalk or in the parks, yet they feel lonely uh, and detached. And so that, that drew me really into trying to find living solutions that would improve connections. It started with the buildings, with the idea of homes, as apartments, as a, as a home, indoor-outdoor, uh, visual and you know sound connection to your neighbors and then amenities and now I'm very fascinated with how it impacts the entire urban environment. So you mentioned drawing since a young age. As you look back now um, at your childhood and growing up in Beresheva, what growing up there means as you're thinking about urban space and life in urban space today? There was um, 
they used they did like social housing. There was a lot of experimental social housing in in Be'er Sheva, and they built these U-shaped uh, housing complexes. Where I remember, it's, you remember? It, I, I like I know it's like next to the university. Also, they have exactly. Those, yeah, and each one had a courtyard. And a courtyard. I know. Oh, I, know, I, know. I know. And uh, I have this kind of super strong memory. You know, you got really strong memories when you were four, or five, yeah, six yeah. years old. Very few. So my parents were divorced by then. My mom worked at the university at the hospital. And after school, I would come home, and then we would all play in the courtyard. And that's, like, everything was there. We used to uh, wear skating. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Before all the players. At around 4 or 5 o'clock, my mom would come from uh, work, make dinner, and then she would call me from the balcony. But nobody called. She didn't call my name. She used to whistle. And I guess for Israelis, it's kind of common. Every yeah, family used to is. have a whistle. It does come in. Uh, but when I tell that to people, they start laughing. Uh, so, but not only we had a whistle, all of my friends and their family had whistles. So around 5 o'clock, the Korea would whistle be filled with off. symphonies of whistles. <laughs> and we all would know everybody else's whistle. Oh, your mommy's whistling. This is whistling. But this memory of the whistling moms and this kind of... Um, architectural platform of a courtyard that allows for that type of interaction yeah. uh, I, I think is, is fascinating and it draws me to these courtyards again and again in all of our projects I find that form uh, of a courtyard in one way or another one of the most sort of fascinating architectural forms in urban cities now Europe was built with courtyards together yeah, all around all around but it's the old European cities. They didn't have the density that sure. modern cities has. Now, sure. modern cities yeah. were built on a grid, and they had no courtyards. And what I'm trying to do is you know, bring them both together uh, to bring back the idea of a courtyard into high-density, high-rise vertical living, um, which is part of why we're doing the Flower District, and you see it in our Rotterdam yeah, project. Yeah. If you look carefully in all of our projects... It's about this kind of expansion of the public realm. I saw that. forms yeah. of courtyards. It's, it's like buckets. You know, architecture is like buckets. You create these platforms that allow people to interact in a different yeah. way. You feel different when you're in a huge room or in a small room, yeah. in a wide street or a narrow street. And, and, and the cities like New York, which built on a grid, which was, by the way, brilliant for the time. Sure. Um, now, with the density, cannot accommodate, accommodate any buckets anymore. So the buildings... And the public ground, the ground floor needs to create those buckets. That's all it, it comes down to. There's a really cool um, short video clip that we're going to put in the in the links below. Um, basically, behind the streets, right? Your concept of right. behind the streets, which is very cool. How you have a suggestion, right? Mm -hmm. To what needs to happen in New York City? Do you want to talk about it for a sec? I have many suggestions. Nobody <laughs> listens, but yeah. The Beyond the Street is an idea that kind of percolated in my head for a few years now, where I was looking for an expansion of the public realm that is unlike anything else that we know. We know that the city is built of grid of streets. We know the, the value of the street the way it used to be. Uh, I, for example, remember growing up as a kid, we used to play at the street as an extension of our apartment. We threw the ball from side to side. What do you call that game when the ball needs to hit the, the curve and it jumps back? 
It's, it's, it's an Israeli. It's, on, it's only being played in Beersheba. <laughs> right? It's only it's where, where I grew game. up. We didn't play it. That you didn't way. play that. Okay. Uh, we, you know, the, the streets. Even though there were some, there were roads and there were cars. The streets were were basically the domain of the kids and the elderly, yeah. and we lost that. And uh, you know, in parks, we know what the form of a park in and. But I was looking for something else, and uh, I discovered that 30% of the outdoor space, open to the sky, outdoor space in New York City, is captured inside the city block, in the core areas of the city block, which is kind of mind-battling when you think about it. So I looked at a plan, and I marked in red all of the courtyard areas, and we calculated 30% of the outdoor space, including all of the streets and all of the parks in New York, are underutilized and are not used for, and highly bifurcated, and are not really used for anything. Uh, couple that with the idea that the retail, the traditional retail, that's, you know, that basically stretched the entire depth of the block is not really in its highest, the best use right now. And the, especially at the backside, you know, it's, it's losing value. And I thought, what if we open a door to those back courtyards, shorten the, uh, the retail, and create public space that is pedestrian dominated, it's surrounded by smaller and more active retail, and it doesn't take away from the street, it just becomes an extension, a deeper way to kind of explore our life and, and celebrate our humanity. It's more equal, it's, it has, it has uh, this kind of intimate urban scale that I'm looking for. Um, so, you know, I think it's a very pragmatic Idea, and I'm hoping that we can actually convince uh, city um, city planning and maybe the new mayor. You have a new mayor right to now. Explore yeah. that, right? Um, it, it is interesting, and again, it's beautiful how it's all marked, and it's such a just just the way you described it. You know, you took a map, you start drawing it out, which is like the nature and basics of architecture, and you was around just drawing it up and trying to still find solutions uh, to make things better. Um, I wanted to ask you, because ODA now is a global firm working in places like Rotterdam and, and uh, Buenos Aires and Moscow and New Delhi, um, is New York is still the core, is this is where you find your inspiration in saying, I will take things from New York and kind of reimagine what I want to do in New York? And I'll just do it somewhere else for now and show them that it works. Well, I think I'm lucky and we're all lucky to live in New York City because it's such an intense and dynamic city, unlike any other city in the world. And so being lucky enough to build a practice here and, and design, you know, over 50 buildings in New York, uh, which to some architects is a world dream just to do one building in New York has been an amazing exploration of the elements and the issues that has to do with high-density, high-intensity urban life. And it seems like some of the things that we've learned and we're continuously learning in New York City are super relevant to other cities around the world. And, uh, even European cities that traditionally would not look into American architects to come and tell them, right? Or direct them in the right direction. Usually it's the other way around. Uh, historically, it was always European architects who came to the U.S. All of a sudden, uh, there's something about the higher density, the, the idea of sustainability, vertical living, and all of these urban challenges, um, social and others, and economical, that have 
brought them to us. And our exploration has become relevant to all these other cities in a way that I didn't imagine. And, and now it doesn't mean that the problems are exactly the same and the solutions are not the same, but the theme around humanity in high-density areas and urban and how do you kind of unlock this kind of, uh, I guess, conflict on one hand that we want more people to live in cities. There's more access in cities, this culture, it's more sustainable for the world, but at the same time, we need to maintain our quality of life. How do we do it in a, in a smart way? And uh, it's amazing to me where we come as ODA with our ideas from New York to Moscow or Rotterdam or South America, and we face the same challenges. Um, and the solutions are different because these are local yeah. solutions, but the problems are very similar. Do you also take, it's also work vice versa, meaning you're going into this place and saying, hey, this is something we can implement in New York. Absolutely. So first of all, ODA is a very international team of people. At some point, we count about 14 nationalities that are nice. represented here. Uh, I come from a different place. Uh, and our minds and soul is always international. That's the beauty about New York as well. Every time we go to a different place, we learn something about society, about technology, about you know their culture. And then that informs what we do here as well. It just makes us better in so many ways. It's true. Working in a development a little bit, um, is it exciting as architecture? Is it a combination that works? Um, is it something that you would recommend architects to do? Yeah, you know, I find it, I'm also teaching at Columbia University at the, the GSAP school. Uh, I'm teaching developers. So it's, it's and, and people ask me, I mean, why are you not teaching architects? And I, you know, I like to teach architects in some degrees. That's what I do here at the office. It's like an architecture yeah. studio. But I am a believer that the world now and in the future is going to be shaped by the private sector. Uh, cities, governments have lost the ability to uh, create meaningful impact besides regulations and zoning. And it's the private sector that is building everything today, not just housing, not just condos, mixed use and culture institutions, hospitals. And therefore, we need to find a way to collaborate and understand each other in a deep, deeper way. And I have this urge to not only know but also experience every aspect that relates to the urban real environment. And be, being a developer, in, in other words, um, practicing the profession of you know, finding a site, uh, finding the investors, um, you know, getting the loans from the bank and all that, it's part of this whole picture. Yeah. And for me, it's not a proposition, a financial proposition per se, it's more of a way to be able to say, look, I've, I've, I'm doing this. I've done this. I understand this. This is part of the tools that we all need to do together in order to make better cities. And, and I enjoy that part of it as, as much. Um, doesn't take away from you know, my passion to architecture, which is what I do. This is more of a side exploration. Study. Okay, it's uh, it's almost closing the circle, right? Because again, doing it, stretching it out all the way to CA, and then from then on, it's development, and then it can stretch it a little bit, you know, just touching it, and it's. Uh, well, I think there's a traditional distance that architects and designers are taking away from the real world, as if they don't want to mess their hands with, 
with these little things. And I think that perception is taking away from the, our profession as architects. And I encourage, with all words of ex- ex- encouragement to architects and future architects, you don't have to be a developer or try it yourself, but definitely you need to understand it. Yeah. You, need to, you need to master it. You need to understand the tools, the goals, and, and the means by which the private sector is operating in order for you to do a better job as an architect. I, I like that. And it's kind of getting us rolled over and talking about the industry because you said there's things that maybe the industry needs to evolve a little bit. Right. Um, COVID is almost in the rearview mirror. I want to hope um, and pray. But what have we learned in this industry and how COVID will affect, you know, architecture in the years to come? Listen, a lot has been talked about COVID, and I don't want to repeat uh, the fact that it sort of accelerates uh, processes that have started already, because I agree. But for me, the bottom line is just it, it, COVID was a, um, sort of a flashlight that illuminates the, to me, the, the substantial challenges of life, city life. Because when you take something into extreme, you can measure it. And when COVID have put us at home for two years without an ability to interact in different ways, to connect, to go out, it puts an extreme flashlight or, or illuminate the problem of our everyday life in cities. How can we expand our life beyond just being either home or at our office, you know, or with millions of others? And, and, and it's, uh, it's a topic that we've been investigating for 15 years. So it, it's, you know, it's for us, it's, it's just an open door to expand on what we've done already. Um, I think that cities are going to radically change. It's not just COVID, but COVID, retail, um, you know, uh, the, the understanding, you know, sustainability in the sense that we can't just continue in trouble every day. We can't just commute two hours to work every day. This doesn't make any sense. All of these elements, to me, are gathering into what I, uh, what I come to think as, um, as that the nuclear uh, typology of cities, where you've got a city center and everything is around it, is going to radically change. We're going to have a lot of nucleus heads, not nuclear, but nucleus <laughs> heads, uh, where uh, 15-minute cities where people are going to work, live, um, you know, play at the same areas. And, and I think that's going to uh, create an exciting uh, change that I'm really looking forward to. So 25 years from now, just take us there. What are we going to see? We're just going to travel 15 minutes to work. We're going to have our small community in a supermarket like five hours away from New York. I think we're going to have what I call fractal cities. Fractal cities... Fractality is this phenomenon in, 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 in math, actually, or physics, where uh, small uh, forms in nature repeats themselves in, over different scales. So the fractal cities will be uh, cities that is spread out, that has a lot of strong centers that unite communities around, that can work, live, and play around the same uh, area. The neighborhoods are going to be filled with more Greenery, less cars, there's going to be more indoor-outdoor experience at the apartments. Um, the buildings are going to be much more uh, open. There's going to be community spaces. And then 
will have the ability and the urge to travel from one nucleus to the other instead of just on a daily basis commute just because we have to. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an exciting thought because um, it will enrich our experiences and we will travel, and I say travel because even traveling every day for two hours is a travel. We will travel to experience different things and not because we must or we have to. Because we want to. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, we talked about the future. I'm taking you back about your conversation about your mom. You said you have kids. Um, will, you will you push them to pursue architecture? Oh, God, no. No, no. <laughs> I'm not going to push my kids to do anything because they're going to resent me forever. <laughs> um, and uh, I have uh, three lovely kids and they have their own interests. Uh, if some of them or one of them or all of them would land into our profession, I'd, you know, it'd be lovely. But uh, at this point, I don't think they show any major interest in architecture. So we, we'll see how that goes. They're not marking up your drawings yet. Not yet. No, my wife does. Okay. <laughs> she marks up all my drawings. <laughs> she's got an opinion. She's a scientist that became an architect. Now she's in the real estate profession. <laughs> All right, that's uh, probably the same in every household, by the way. So it's it's no different. Um, so no more professional questions. Just talking about personal, a little bit about you. Um, what is the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning? Uh, you know, the mornings are the only time that I have to spend with my kids uh, besides the weekend. Uh, usually they're very busy. I'm very busy. The days are long. Um, sometimes I come back home late or they're busy with their friends or homework. So, but the morning moments where everybody wakes up and casually speak over the sort of the breakfast table is, is, uh, what I see as a priority. So, um, you know, my wife usually takes the dog out in the morning and then I have some time with, with the kids and if they, uh, if they care to respond to me or have a conversation, <laughs> then I can draw some information about their life at that point. That's cool. Um, what type of music do you listen to? In the past few years, mostly pop music. Uh, I'm totally influenced by my kids. So, uh, you know, with the time that we listen to music, it's either in the car when we're driving out the city on the weekends or on the weekends, and they have their own playlist, and, you know, it's much more forceful than mine. Uh, so I've lost my touch uh, with Israeli music that I loved a long time ago. Frankly, I, you know, I just not too long ago, a friend of, of mine sent me a, sort of a, a bunch of new Israeli songs that I, I didn't even know. I'm totally out of the loop. Um, but definitely, uh, I, I know all of the song almost by heart by Taylor Swift. Um, <laughs> and we can sing along. I do, I do like, uh, I do like jazz, and and, and uh, so I, you know, when I have uh, my moments of, uh, of intimacy in the house, that's what I listen to. Working with or without music, is music is interruption or music is just leisure? Like... Music is mostly leisure. I don't need to get in the mode in order to be creative. I don't need to sit down quietly and listen to music. Yeah. For the you know for the music the ideas to come along, it, I do it all the time in every almost every situation. You know the the office is super hectic and and you know I'm jumping from one to another and still this is the natural environment for me to create. So 
I don't need to get myself in a room with music yeah, to okay. come up with good ideas. I think I know the answer for this one without knowing you too long, but if you could have a dinner with anyone, who would it be? Ooh, how do you know? What do you think? I think you're going to say your wife because you don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> no, don't worry. She doesn't listen to this stuff. Uh, she doesn't even read the articles about me anymore. It's too many. Oh, that's nice. Another one. Good. Um, dinner. Wow. Um, it could be so, lunch as well if you want to. No, I, so I said Norman Foster. I met him once uh, at an event. It would be great if I could spend time with him, pick his brain and just talk about stuff. Uh, not too long ago, I had lunch with uh, Moshe Safdi, who's been sort of an iconic figure in my life, being kind of half-Israeli and being a world architect. Uh, and uh, I think two or three years ago, somebody introduced us, and he was super nice, and he knew a lot about our work. He bought our book. It was very complimentary, and I told him how much you know he was an influence in my life, and then I met him at his office in Boston and, and, and in New York. So these kind of friendships, uh, I feel fortunate that, that I could kind of, um, I, I could foster at this kind of time in my life. That's cool. Um, and the last one, which you do so many things, but if you weren't an architect, what would you do? Ah, uh, so you'll be shocked, but I think that I would be a farmer. All right. Yes. All right. Yes. I okay. think that if I, for some reason, decide that I'm tired from the profession of architecture right now, I would probably buy a farm um, somewhere in um, somewhere in Italy. Maybe I would I would grow lemons and create uh, Monte, uh, limoncello. limoncello. Um, but I think the connection to the earth, uh, gardening is is. Is a hobby of mine. Mm-hmm. The the connection to the dirt, the earth, the landscape. There's something very romantic about. Oh, maybe I would grow vineyards uh, for wine. This this to me is my my second passion. All right. Okay. Um, I was surprised, and I actually like the answers also. But um, and I'm fan from ODA. Thank you very much Thank for you. spending the time. It was great. It was a pleasure getting to know you and just to talk about the industry a little bit about you and ODA. Um, thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening. This time around, we got first one with Ran Chen from ODA Architecture. To learn more about Iran's work and the studio projects, check out their website and Instagram. The links will be added in the comments section including the Beyond Street video. Stay tuned for future episode of Getting Personal with Designers. Thank you.